Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and this evening we are going to be taking a look at the latest offering from Planet X Games. Uh, you know, Levi Combs, great friend of the show, great supporter of the show. Uh, he has put out another great adventure. I received this thing a couple probably about a month ago now, uh, by my reckoning, sometime at the end of May, headed into June, and it was right in advance of a North Texas RPG convention, hence the delay in my reviewing it, but we've got this thing right here, Glimmering Crypt of the Ion King, and we are going to be talking about it, uh, talking all about the great stuff that Levi has put out here, and uh, trying to find out if uh, this adventure rocks, or if this is rock bottom. Figured I'd let that one sit with you guys for a little bit. Anyway, uh, enough stalling from me. Let's go ahead and move on over to the screen share so that you guys can actually see uh, what you'll be uh, getting in... F what you'll be getting into and what you're in for the two phrases that I just train wrecked together there, uh, when you explore the depths of the glimmering crypt of the Ion King. And I'm over here now. Great stuff, great stuff. One of the fantastic things that Levi does is, of course, offer a PDF with the physical copy uh, through his Kickstarters. Uh, this is fantastic, and I wish some of the larger role-playing game companies, uh, perhaps a group of magic users who live on the coast, uh, would, uh, you know, begin to practice. I noticed that wasn't a survey question on that controversial Wizards of the Coast survey that was put out a couple weeks ago. Uh, yeah. I am strongly dissatisfied with the lack of print and PDF options bundled together, wizards. Put that in your NDA and smoke it. This is going to be really dated in like two weeks. Anyway, without further ado, let's, uh, let's take a little bit of a, a look here at what we've got. So... Obviously, you start with the front cover. You got a great Adrian Landeros page here. Um, really cool, really evocative. You've got a couple of, I believe those are patches. Uh, the patch factor into this adventure uh, very greatly, uh, which is cool because the patch kind of get ignored. I feel like when it comes to denizens of the Underdark, um, they, they might not even be in the monster manual. I could be completely mistaken about this. But it feels like the patch kind of get completely ignored in 5th edition. Uh, but they're very much a presence here. And of course you have the Ion King himself. He has a name, we'll get to that in just a second. And of course this is a 5th edition compatible adventure uh, for characters of levels 5 to 7. Um, and then of course we have this... <laughs> These two fantastic pages, one at the front, one at the back, of these uh, old-timey comic book ads that Levi puts in that, that are just fantastic. I love some of these. Some callbacks to other adventures. Howling Crater Mutant Hillbilly Teeth. 
Three gold pieces, that's a bargain. Greek fire. Bard's beard. This might be my favorite evil warlock wig. Most people try to grow hair, not the warlock. Made of flesh-toned latex to fit all heads, this wig helps you disintegrate do-gooders with eldritch blasts. And uh, it is important to note here that Levi Combs practices what he preaches. I have never seen him once without uh, his evil warlock wig, which he is wearing constantly. I think he may even sleep in it. Possibly even shower with it. I'll have to ask him next time he comes on. So we got this uh, repeat here of the Ion King cover. Of course, we got some credits here. Uh, obviously, you know, published by Planet X, written by Levi Combs. Um, Adrian Landeros did the cover. Some interior artists here. Uh, Adrian Landeros, Chris Carmen, Jay Shields, and uh, Keelan Halverson. Uh, I now know two out of these four people. Uh, Jay, if you remember my uh, roundup of North Texas RPG Con... Jay was the uh, the GM for the Star Wars D6 game that I played in, which was fantastic. Uh, I've been looking at some of his art for the adventure that I'm currently working on right now. Uh, Keelan, I also met briefly. He was supposed to be in my Deadlands game, I'm pretty sure. If I'm remembering correctly, uh, he didn't show up. It happens, I'm not going to hold that against him. But yeah, his artwork is great as well. And Adrian's work is always fantastic. You guys know this already. If you've seen my uh, reviews of Planet X's earlier offerings, you guys know that, that Adrian is a favorite of mine. And of course, the usual roundup of miscreants here. So enough beating around the bush. The, glimmer, the glimmering crypt of the Ion King. <laughs> Grindhouse Gorilla in chat. I'm assuming that's Levi reacting to my uh, comments about the, uh, the evil warlock wig. So, Levi, if that is indeed you, welcome. And even if it's not Levi, welcome. What am I saying? Everyone's welcome here. Anyway, Glimmering Crypt of the Ion King. Um, tavern tales and campfire talk across the land, a whisper of a glittering, gem-laden tomb deep beneath the sunlit lands of the surface. The final resting place of a doomed dwarven wizard who delved deep into the hearts of the earth, seeking answers, but found something else. Dvar Deepstone, known among scholars and users of magic as the Ion King for his crown of whirling, twinkling Ion Stones, was famed for his mastery over earth and metal magic, but also for his dour disposition. After uncovering an ancient eldritch formula, he abandoned the confines of ordered dwarven society to journey deep into the deep earth and commune with the stones at the heart of the world. Many of his contemporaries thought him mad, but knew of his well-earned reputation for both obsession and contrariness. Unknown to Devar, this magic formula was actually an ancient sentient curse known as the Hate Cant. It hides inside ancient texts and fools anyone able to understand its arcane complexities, purporting to be the answer to something they truly despise. Over time, the hate cant twists and befuddles the mind, eventually possessing and using its victims as a vessel to wreak havoc in the living, material world. Leaving his native folk, Devar journeyed far into the deep earth with a loyal retinue of patch servants and apprentices, making his way to a location he referred to as Groldoram, the heart of the world. With the aid of the summoned elementals and mighty earth magic, he built a stronghold to defend himself and his minions from the cruel evils beneath the surface, an observatory to continue their research. As his studies lingered on, Devar deciphered more and more of the hate cant until eventually he felt prepared to cast the grand spell and gain the knowledge he sought. 
predictably, the hate cant was released, possessing Devar. In a massive magical backlash, Devar's life force was sucked away by the sentient curse, but the hate cant found itself simultaneously trapped by the cautious wizard's magical contingencies, the whirling iron stone circling Devar's head. The curse was trapped. Forced to bond with the wizard's desiccated, lifeless form, it became trapped inside an immobile husk, held transfixed by the wizard's defensive, magical contingencies and unable to leave the observatory. The hate cant now lies trapped within Devar's inadvertent underground tomb, silently raging, locked away by the magic of Devar's iron stones, unable to leave. With a great expenditure of energy, the hate cant is capable of moving Devar's desiccated form for short periods of time, but has so far been unable to do anything about its imprisonment. Immortal, but not knowing the limits of its imprisonment, the hate cant waits, binding its time until once again it is discovered. All that and half a glass of whiskey. So, yeah. That is the flavor text, the introduction to the glimmering crypt of the Ion King, the setup, if you will, the information that only the Keeper of Secrets, the dungeon master, the game master, must know. So, basically, what we're looking at here with this adventure, and I keep calling it an adventure, it calls itself an adventure, what this is, uh, in, in kind of full transparency, is... A single location. It is a uh, a dungeon, not quite a mega dungeon. It's a dungeon, though. Uh, and I haven't touched on this yet, but this is actually fairly short when compared to the other kind of full length uh, releases that Levi's put out. If I'm remembering correctly, and I looked at it before I went on the air, uh. Not Jungle Tomb of the Mummy Bride. It's a little bit longer as well, but... Uh... Oh, goodness. Gracious. Escape from Skullcano Island. I just had to look over... I don't know why I blanked on that. I got in the zone there, reading about the, the history of the Ion King. Um, that adventure is about 130-ish pages... Uh, maybe a little bit more... Actually, I think it is a little bit more. Maybe around 140 pages. Uh, what we're looking at here is roughly... It's about 25, 26 pages of adventure, and then, uh, with appendices, you're looking at roughly... ...37 pages. So... Uh, not that length matters, because, you know, one thing I will give Levi credit for is he seems to be putting out adventures that appeal not just to different tastes, because they all, in one way or another, kind of, you know, go back to the grindhouse feel that Planet X has cultivated for itself. But he's putting out adventures that target different levels of play and kind of appeal to different types of campaigns. Uh, I, I say this to say, Glimmering Crypt of the Ion King, you could probably knock out in one to three sessions, depending on how long your sessions are and how long your players take to explore. Uh, and I, I don't think that's, uh, I don't think that's to the book's detriment at all. And I don't think that's, uh, kind of shorting the, the content that we have here. There's a good amount of content. It If you did this in one session, it would be a barn burner of a session. Uh, really, two to three is kind of the sweet spot. But that's what you're looking at here. It is a, a single location, a single dungeon, a full dungeon, not a mini dungeon, not a, not a uh, mega dungeon. So a fully sized dungeon fit for about one to three sessions of play uh, for fifth to seventh level characters. So, of course, we start with a, a couple ways to get your players to 
examine this thing, you know, different different hooks to get your players to enter the Glimmering Crypt. So, uh, you know, Levi gives a few examples here. You can, uh, you know, have some some noblemen hire the party to go explore. The party can be seeking the uh, the riches themselves. Maybe someone they know disappeared. They find themselves lost and kind of end up, uh, you know, they're lost in the Underdark and end up stumbling upon the crypt. Um, yeah, all of these are, are good things. There's a, a nice D100 table here as far as rumors. Uh, something that's interesting about the, uh, the crypt Due to kind of the isolation that the Iron King had in his life, uh, his whereabouts are not well known. It's not, you know, pe- people aren't always talking about, oh, that Devar Deepstone, uh, you know, he went into the cave and became the Iron King. Most people don't know that. Most people don't know where he is. Most people don't know about this. It's, you know, little little bits and pieces the party would have picked up. Um, so, so like there's an intelligence check or or a history check required to even like see if they've found anything out about this, um, which again is, is really cool. Uh, sometimes stuff like that can be difficult to get your players to pick up on. Um, if I were to run this at my table, I would probably have the player stumble upon it by accident or cajole, railroad, bait, whatever phrase you want to use there, the players into finding it and then have them roll. But, you know, if if someone's like, have you ever heard of the glimmering crypt of the Ion King? And then, you know, they, they rolled the history check and, you know, let's say, let's see someone, uh, you know, rolls 13 or above on the history check. And then, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard a little bit about that. Hey, yeah, I, I heard that the Ion Crypts or the Ion King's Crypt is no crypt at all, but rather an observatory, which Devar constructed amidst a fortru- or forest of crystals to help facilitate the studies and, you know. So, yeah, that... There's options there. As always, you know, with every good adventure, there's a plethora of options to get your players actually into the dungeon because not every group is going to be amenable to you slamming a book down on the table and going, all right, we're doing this now. In fact, my my kind of preferred method of getting players into adventures, and I, I got this from a video that Spoonie, uh, you know, the Spoonie one, Noah Antweiler, old, original legend of YouTube, since uh, Fallen from Grace, but still the person who actually got me to seriously look into playing D&D. He did a video on Cthulhu Punk, the, uh, the Cthulhu GURP cyberpunk book. And what he said about it was, you know, you you don't, have the book sitting out being like, all right, we're playing Cthulhu Punk today. You have to like draw your players into it so that kind of the, the element of these, uh, you know, Cthulhu Lovecraftian monsters showing up in your game becomes a surprise and, and catches them off guard. I like to do that for all of the adventures that I run. Uh, you know, I, the first time I ran a module was, uh, Why did I just forget the name of it? The the starter set module for 5th edition. Uh, It's going to come to me at like the worst possible time. But when I ran that, um, people... Yeah, I I told the group, I was like, we're going to run the starter set adventure. It It was a new group of players. None of them had played before. Or none of them had played a full campaign before. So I was like, we're going to, we're, we're going to start with this and we're going to, you know, move on from there. We're going to keep going from there. 
But with an experienced group, you know, I'd give them a little bit of flavor text. I'd give them, you know, Here, here's how we're going to start things. And then find their way into the adventure. And if someone guesses, hey, we're, you know, we're, we're doing, uh, we're doing Curse of Strahd, aren't we? That one would be pretty obvious from the beginning. Uh, but, you know, it, let's say I, I did my thing of, yes, Lost Minds of Fandelver. That's, I'm now down to almost a full glass of whiskey. So, that's where my memory went. The bottom of that glass. Anyway. You know, Curse of Strahd, you're like, you arrive in Barovia, or you're wandering through the mist, and they'd be like, oh, we're playing Curse of Strahd. But if I were doing the thing where I ran Salt Marsh, and then, uh, you know, I, I had my players shipwreck on the island from escape uh, on Skullcano Island, you know, they, I shipwrecked them on Skullcano Island. I wouldn't tell them, "Hey, you're on Skullcano Island," and, and pull out the book. I, you know, they'd have to discover that. They'd have to guess it. So that's, you know, I I would do something similar with this. And this book is, it's uh, paperback and it's thin enough you could slip it in your binder, and no one would be the wiser. I don't know that I would three-hole punch it, though, because the uh, the margins here, they don't have room. I'd cut off text if I did that, so I'd have to print it. But anyway, I'm uh, well afield of actually talking about this adventure here. So, in here, uh, you know, Levi talks a little bit about the grindhouse style and how it applies to this particular setting. Um, you know, City of Lost Children, Dark City, uh, Pan's Labyrinth, he cites his uh, inspiration. He talks about, uh, you know, Robert E. Howard, Lovecraft, Mike Bignola. Uh, and he, he mentions, you know, running it in a more traditional way. I, I definitely... and. Based on Levi's inspirations, I know, um, you know, he's, he's pulling from different resources here, but reading this, I can't help but think of, uh, Exile by R.A. Salvatore, the book about Dritz wandering through the Underdark. And part of that is the Petch connection and some of the monsters that are here, but it has this this feel of you are wandering through a strange and harsh environment. Uh, everything here is potentially deadly. Everything here, uh, you know, could kill you. It's dark, it's scary, and you have to survive it, and there's something weird going on down here. And then another good resource that Levi has here is... Uh, an explanation of different terms and different things that you'll encounter in the Underdark, you know, caves and caverns, fungal forests, which are always an interesting part of Underdark adventures, you know, running into myconids or just running into weird fungus that do weird things, uh, subterranean lakes, natural tunnels versus passages that were carved out by, by the Petch servants. Gorges and abysses, weird things. Talks a little bit about light here, different light sources. And this is where he mentions one of the one of the coolest things about this particular adventure. Eldritch seepage. That's going to go down in the pantheon of Great Planet X words. Eldritch seepage. We'll talk about what that is later, but... I just want you guys to think for a second, those of you watching and listening, what comes to mind when you hear the words eldritch seepage? And those of you watching on YouTube, don't read the definition. Just picture in your mind eldritch seepage, and we'll get back to that in just a little bit. And of course we've got the, uh, you know, the wandering monster table and uh, all of the associated things. Some great monsters in here, by the way. Um, you know, there, there's stuff that Levi has, uh, you know, it specifically in mind for this adventure, but you also have great things like ropers, uh, you know, gelatinous cubes, 
purple worms. Uh, Zorn. Zorn are one of my favorite monsters. Uh, because they're just... If I may wax rhapsodic about the Zorn. They are... Weak enough to throw multiple of them against characters. Against against your party. And, and not, like, wipe the party. But they're so weird. And the mental image that people will conjure without you showing them the, the official art. Don't show them the picture from the monster manual. It's a great picture. But just, just describe three arms, three legs, an eye in the middle of its chest, and a mouth on its head. And let the imagination run wild. Because your players, if they don't know what a Zorn is will make that thing ten times scarier than you could just by showing them the picture. It is fantastic. Oh, and Ed Bickford is here in chat. How you doing, Ed? Great to see you. So yeah, this this is some of the greatness that we are dealing with here in the Glimmering Crypt of the Ion King. Uh, we've got a great map here. Uh, this time, the map is not done by Carl Sternberg. Uh, this map is done by Dan Smith. Uh, it is a great map, nonetheless. Uh, from what Levi has told me, though, Carl's schedule is getting a little bit crazy. Again, that's Skull Fungus on Instagram and Twitter for those of you who haven't followed him already. Fantastic artist, but Dan Smith does a great job here with this map. Uh, it's fantastic. It's well laid out. Everything makes sense. Uh, everything is distinct. It's cool. I like it a lot. And then we get to the crypt itself. A little bit of uh, text here for the, the Dungeon Master's edification that describes kind of the, the general uh, cartography that you're going to run into, what the land looks like or feels like, how wide the passages are. Something I discovered recently with my players, uh, there are a lot of people uh, who will ask how tall the ceiling is. Uh, which I had not encountered before, but I have a player, uh, Wit Hubner. I'll name him. I'll name him because he's a public figure. He's on the radio here in Nashville, uh, Roots Radio, for those of you who are in town. Uh, every encounter, Wit is going to ask me how tall the ceiling is. And sometimes he, he does uh, actually do something with that. Sometimes I think it's just to keep me on my toes. And Ed, I am doing great. I'm glad that you guys could uh, could catch the show live tonight. It was definitely nice to meet you in person. And uh, I, I also, Ed, uh, I, I want to say thank you for putting out the, uh, the illustrated price sheet on Facebook. Uh, that's been cool. Um, I might be in touch at some point in the not-too-distant future uh, regarding a couple stuff. Or a couple stuff. What am I saying? I'm a professional. A couple things uh, with the adventure that I'm throwing together. I, I need to get some stuff on, on paper, but I definitely want to do some business there. And yes, the, the map is amazing, and it's in color this time, uh, which is always great. So, we start off, and this is a fantastic illustration. Um... I've not gotten to the point with the other artists where I can tell it's their work off the bat. I always know Ed's work, and I know uh, I know Adrian's work. I can't tell you necessarily who drew this just by looking at it, and it's not signed. Levi will probably drop it here in chat, but this is this is a great image. Just the descent into darkness. It's it's very evocative, and I love it. And so this is the uh, the entrance that your party will stumble upon as they enter. Just this descent into the the icky blackness down below. It's uh, it's fantastic. That is Keelan Halverson's work. Thank you. Uh, 
Thank you, Levi. That is that is fantastic to know. Uh, so yeah, that's that's a great piece there. And then the next page, not to be outdone, another great piece by Adrian here of a uh, a trap that we'll discuss in just a little bit. But the uh, the entrance to the uh, I don't even know how to pronounce that word. The entrance to the the dungeon basically is a double door with uh, some Zorn on it. Uh, that's not what this is a picture of. This is a picture of something you find in the foyer. Or the foyer, if you want to be fancy. Um, this is a steam trap. Which is a fantastic trap. One that you don't see often enough. Uh, basically, if you go up to the entrance here, there's some guardians that you have to overcome. If you're able to dispel the bind over them which Levi details here. They'll tell you about the steam trap. Otherwise, your rogue's going to have to ferret it out. But basically, you step on a pressure plate and whoosh. You end up taking 4d10 or 22 if you're taking the average fire damage on a failed save. Half as much on a successful one. 15 DC dexterity save. Fantastic trap. And then, of course, there is a secret door at the northeast leading to the descending chamber. Which, if we go by the map, I won't scroll all the way back up there. I will open my physical copy to consult the map. This leads you into an area uh, that I also thought was super cool here in the, uh, the opening Basically, you get what Levi describes as a bag of holding in macro scale. So you've got this uh, old chamber made up of these descending rooms that at one point apparently served as like pocket dimensions. But due to the, you know demise or near demise of the Ion King uh, the enchantments were not able to be kept up so these things have uh, you know gone into disrepair and this is where the eldritch seepage comes in it's basically magic radioactive uh, give off or radioactive waste it's this goo that glows when your players get close to it and if they touch it they like start to get sick and take necrotic damage and in order to get rid of it you have to put 15 levels of spells into it to like overcharge it and and render it inert for a time period it's fantastic it's a it's a cool idea um and it's two words that just go great together. Eldritch seepage. Again, again, I, I've talked about this, but Eldritch seepage. It's mwah, chef's kiss for those of you who are listening. But yeah, you've got three chambers here that, that lead down into each other. There's a ladder that takes you kind of deeper and deeper. And the bottom chamber, all of the Eldritch seepage is down there. Uh, but also, that's where kind of the bulk of your valuables are going to be. Um, you can find 235 gold pieces of assorted coins, nine silver trade bars, uh, two suits of well-made dwarven-sized chainmail armor, battle axes of exceptional quality, uh, plate mail made for a dwarf, a plus-two shield, potion of healing, and a mace of smiting. So if your players are willing to kind of brave the gross ickiness, uh, you can find some good stuff in there. So it's not just, you know, skip the icky chamber. No, there's good stuff in there. And then we have the forges, uh, the next stop on the tour. You go through the hallway and over to the uh, the forges. There's a, a great little uh, a trap waiting here for the players, a little deep horror hiding itself in one of the chimneys. 
So if your players aren't careful, uh, they can basically get like sucked up a chimney by some tentacles in the dark. It's fantastic. There's a couple of treasure things to be found here. Then you get to the wheelhouse, another kind of uh, trap almost for your players. And a place where they can see that, you know, people have been through here recently. Um, but if they try to turn the water back on, uh, they're going to get gassed by some, some poison mushrooms. Uh, which, again, is, is a fantastic little, little mousetrap for some players. And Elfie, yes, a, a chef's kiss would be emerald seepage, but I don't think we can talk about emerald seepage without having to put an 18 or over label on the YouTube replay. So we're going to leave that where it is and, and not, not talk anymore about emerald seepage. And then in one of the uh, kind of dead ends of the adventure... And by that, I mean it's basically just kind of the northwest wall, and that's where it stops. You'd have to go back to keep exploring. You get to the depleted mines. And these depleted mines... Um, used to be, you know, regularly mined for gems by the, the patch. Uh, at this point, there's a few crystals there. Not much of value, but, you know, that's pretty much what you've got. And then there's a little pit in the middle of the room uh, that you have to be careful of falling into. You can see dwarf bones and stuff like that. And then there's also some albino uh, strigas here. And they will attack you if you uh, hang around too long. Uh, but if you display some fire or lightning magic or light, yeah, fire or lightning magic, they will, uh, they'll run away. Uh, one thing that you do find here, though, and you find some of these in the forges as well, uh, there are these discs that become very important to your players, uh, in another room if they want to find kind of a hidden magic item. Um, you know, hidden passages in, uh, section eight which is uh, not directly connected to this. It's on the water. But, you know, if you guys, if your players go down into the water and make their way across, they can get to these kind of hidden passageways, uh, which are left vague kind of for the, the game master to, you know, add certain things. If, if the party, you know, needs a bit more of a challenge or, you know, there, there's something important to your game... Uh, specifically, you know, that that's what this is for. It's it's a little room for the Game Master to kind of put their stamp on. But in Section 9, you get to the, uh, the Crescent Cavern, which is off to the side a little bit. Uh, you actually have to go through Section 11, which we'll get to in just a little bit, to get across this thing. If you remember the map, I'll show it to you right now. If you look right here, basically you go through the uh, you go through the forge again into section eleven and then over to the north, basically. If this is a uh, you know north, south, east, west, based on this map, you get to the crescent cavern. And you see a few more crystals here. And then, uh, you know, there's chances of wandering encounters here. It's, it's kind of a, a transitional room to get you, you know, j just to, like, show a little bit more. And then in uh, section 10, which is kind of off to the side of the uh, Crescent Cavern, is the Secret Cavern. Which, if you're following the river, if your players go out to, uh, you know, the depleted mine, and then they go back to the bridge and they kind of, you know, get in the water, you can get there this way. That's pretty much the best way to get there. 
pretty much the only way to get there, really, if you if you look at the map here. Um, there's some giant spiders or shroud spiders. Um, or there used to be at some point. Uh, now there are mummified husks of petches who the spiders fed on. And uh, one of their... You know, one of them has a satchel which has some stone fragments um, showing some designs of the, the observatory. And then you find a stone of controlling earth elementals, which is cool. And section 11, that section that I kind of glossed over, is the four-way fountain, which is a major cross-section of the dungeon. It leads you into, uh, you know, sections 12 and 13, but it also leads you off into kind of the main area of the dungeon where you, you know, find the the deep, dark secrets of the Iron King's Crypt. And this is a large stone fountain with, or fountain, with four faces, uh, two dwarves, two petch, which are kind of the, if you haven't noticed, the dwarves and the petch are the major uh, forces that kind of tie everything together here. So... You get there, and this fountain is just constantly flowing. Uh, there's a secret to it that involves those discs. I won't give that away. I've given a lot away so far, uh, but I won't give away the secret there. If you want to know what it is, uh, you'll have to buy the book, basically. And so in here, you have a, uh, a fantastic... Adrian Landeros illustration again. Uh, that's gorgeous. And scary at the same time. Which is one of the things that Adrian does very well. In section 12, you get stairs to the river. Uh, so this is where, if you're, if you're looking to get to section 10, or if your players want to get in a boat, maybe they brought a folding boat with them because they thought to buy one. I'm not going to rehash the folding boat story here. I'll talk about it again later at some point. But this is where you could get in the river and have access to some of the stuff that's on the water. And there are some shroud spiders hanging out here. It, it's a way into the river. You cross the bridge and you get into section 13, which is a mine. Uh... Again, it used to be actively worked. Mining tools are all left, kind of, you know, strewn about the place. And then if your party makes an investigation check, uh, they can find that there are some missing chunks of these stones that are being, uh, you know, mine or were being mined here. Uh, there are Zorn sleeping here. So if you wake them up, they're going to they're gonna stand up here. You have a great Zorn illustration here. A little bit different from what you would see in the player's handbook, but his arms are down, whereas the Zorn in the player's handbook is doing like the touchdown thing, but with three arms. So again, Zorn are freaky and weird, and they really freak your players out. So don't show them pictures until they've fought it. Let them... Let the mind wander and create something weird. But you can feed the Zorn here. Or actually, rather, they'll sleep unless you've got large amounts of coins or you, you carried the ingots from the forges in here. The Zorn will be like, food? Because those of you who don't know, Zorn... Zorn literally eat precious metal. That's their thing. And then from here, uh, you'd, you'd go back through, cross the bridge, and either into the water, into the section, or back to the fountain and across the other bridge, and you get into section 14. There's another way to do it down this way as well. Multiple... Multiple ways to section 14, the Glittering Grotto. 
And this is where the the kind of worked stone area turns into, like the text says, turns into more of a natural cavern here. Uh, there's a, a small waterfall. And it reflects, uh, you know, off of the light sources used by your character. So it's it's a nice kind of Goonies moment here. Um, but there's lots of, you know, scattered items, armor, weapons. You can find another metal disc here. Again, those are important. And, you know, pretty much every other metal item is oxidized and rusted. So, you know, the, these are from the, uh, the Wardens of the Deep, who very recently came through. You'll see signs of them in other places. Uh, and again, those things don't necessarily have to be there, but they're nice just to show that, you know, someone's tried this recently. It's a little, little bit of, you know, abandoned hope all ye enter here. That you can continue to, to reinforce. And there's a slithering corpse jelly here. So who doesn't love that? Then you get into section 15, the Iron King's quarters. Um, this is where he used to live. So you break into the old apartment. And you can search through some of the debris here. There's not a whole lot. It's very uh, sparse. But you can find a spell book that has, uh, you know, several cool spells in it. And then there's a treatise on identifying ion stones, which will give your wizard a plus one bonus to determine the variety of ion stones. So some cool stuff to be found here. little bit of treasure. And even a nice little uh, chest where you can find some ion drones. Uh, which are ion stones with some, you know, defensive capabilities. Um... There's more information on them at the back in the in the appendix. Then from there you get into the study in section 16. Yeah, you know, tables and chairs, all kinds of cool stuff there. Um, as far as what you find here, there's some you know old books, Dungath's dissertations on the. Para-Elemental Planes, Mordo's Treatise on Zorns and Harmonics amongst Mnemonic Crystals and their effects on Spell Mantles. Fantastic. Not much to find in here. Um, maps and charts that are, you know, worth the right thing to the right buyer. Then you get into the laboratory in Section 17, which is just off of the quarters And you can find some stuff. Um, Levi instructs the game master to roll 1d4, add 1, and then, you know, certain of these items will be found here. Then you go into uh, section 18, the scrying area. This is another kind of crystal cavern. And this is a place where uh, scrying would happen, uh, but there is a scene and some flavor text that appears here. The blurry apparitions reflected in the crystals become more discernible by the moment, springing to life before your eyes. A magnificent cavern filled with towering crystals spreads before you, dominated by a regal-looking throne fashioned from vivid purple gemstone. A ragged dwarf-like figure with a swirling halo of glowing, multi-hued stars is engulfed by a churning tornado of fiery red sigils rolling, roiling all about him, 
tearing at his flesh, the struggle wages back and forth until finally the bizarre twisters of glaring runes delivers a death blow to its opponent. The dwarf's halo of light unleashes a blinding crackle of raw energy and a primal ear-splitting scream reverberates through the cavern. In one instant, the eldritch whirlwind is literally sucked into the halo of whirling stones and the haggard dwarf falls to the ground. So yeah, you guys get to, your players get to see the moment where the Iron King's essence is sucked from him by the hate cant, which is cool. Uh, that's where you can kind of, you know, drop a little bit of the exposition about what happened here, because your players aren't going to know this going in. At least not if you're doing your job. Not to make it sound like you wouldn't be doing your job. Then from here you get to the, you know, the Petch's quarters, the workshop, and finally the Iron King's observatory. I won't tell you what's happening in here, uh, because that would be, you know, a little too spoilery. Another fantastic piece of art here. So we'll, we'll move past that, and I'll, you know, again, I don't want to spoil Levi's adventure here, so we're not going to talk about the ending uh, I want you guys to pick this up if it sounds like it's up your alley. Uh, from here we get into the appendices. Where you see some of the great stuff here. Ion drones. Um, you have to cast a spell of first through third level into it by touching the ion drone as the spell is cast. Uh, basically it's just stored within the drone. And then, uh, you know, stone has 24 AC and 10 hit points, so it's, you know, pretty tough. It's considered being worn while it orbits your head, and it shoots the spell that you put into it. Or the spells. Because you can stock this thing up with spells, have it whirling around your head, and then it, you know, shoots out spells. So you can load this thing up with some cool stuff. You could, like, let's see. Fireball. Look on roll 20. Third level evocation. So if you want, you could stick a fireball in this thing and have yourself a little tiny drone that flies around and nukes things. Pretty nifty. And you have ion stones, of course, uh, which are cool. You've got some in the DMG. You've got these right here, which are always great. And then, you know, you have a, uh, a cool little bestiary here of some, you know, things that are unique to this cave. You have the Albino Striga, which uh, we talked about, the Worm Priests. You've got, uh, you know, Galabdur, Crystalline Galabdur, Deep Horror. That deep horror is tough. 105 hit points. That's nothing to sneeze at. Eh, CR3, though. So. It corrodes non-magical weapons. Paralyzing tentacles. Plus 6 to hit. DC 13 constitution saving throw or be poisoned for 1 minute. That thing will kill you. Then the Ion King himself is, of course, statted here, CR8. He's possessed by the hate cant. Faceless prophets. Which is one of the, you know, wandering monsters. The hate cant itself has stats. All kinds of cool stuff here. And then we've got some more stuff here. <laughs> the insult that made a man of Throngar or Throngor. Anyone who remembers the uh, the Atlas, uh, I think that's who it was. Who sold the the weightlifting kit? You've seen the the old ad in the back of old comics. It's fantastic. 
So yeah, this is a a pretty good short dungeon. Um, honestly, this would be a good product for people who, you know, if you've got a group of players who haven't played a lot of D&D before, uh, don't really know what dungeon crawling is all about, or maybe they just, you know, haven't ever played a dungeon crawl before, this would be a good adventure to kind of introduce them to the concept of a dungeon crawl. Uh, this is this is pretty cool. As far as uh, you know, dungeon crawls go, and honestly, this is not um, this is not something that Wizards is putting out. This is not something that a lot of like major companies are putting out. I'm sure you guys have noticed. Uh, Dungeon crawls are not necessarily in vogue anymore. So this is, uh, you know, going with what Levi goes with a lot of the time. Old school mixed with a grindhouse feel. Uh, very reminiscent of some great stuff. If you are a fan of the Dritzdward novels and you, you really like Exile in particular, uh, this will be right up your alley. No drow, but, you know, you could add drow in if you wanted to. You, you can make Drow a thing. There's room for it. But all in all, uh, this is a fantastic uh, little adventure, little dungeon. Uh, well worth it. I'm not sure what this is going to end up MSRPing for. I'm sure Levi will be able to give you guys the details. And of course, uh, because it's Planet X, you can get this from Exalted Funeral uh, once it's publicly available. In fact, let's go ahead... Take a look at Exalted Funeral here and see if this is available. I'm sorry, Internet, did you just die? That's weird. Go back. Come on now. Yep, here it is. $11. Or 23 if you're getting the uh, the PDF. Or not the PDF, the, uh, the print version. So yeah, that's well worth it. PDF only, you're looking at $11. So definitely a, a good deal for this adventure. Uh, it's fantastic. Like I said, you can get it at Exalted Funeral if you didn't back the Kickstarter. Uh, so, yeah, that's, this is the uh, kind of fulfillment home, uh, you know, retail home, if you will, of Planet X is now Exalted Funeral. If you listen to Vintage RPG, you've heard people talk a lot about this. At some point, I need to get the Exalted Funeral people on the show we have enough mutual friends. I steal guests from Vintage RPG all the time. Let's bring them on. Let's talk to them. So guys, if you're out there, uh, give me a holler and we will put something together. But all in all, uh, if you have the stones to explore the uh, glimmering crypt of the Iron King, then I will tell you that this adventure rocks. And I expect that to be printed in the uh, second edition of Glimmering Crypt of the Iron King. I feel like I've earned it. Those words should never be printed ever. I'm kind of ashamed of myself for saying them. So yeah, that is Glimmering Crypt of the Iron King. Get it. It's well worth it. It's fantastic. Uh, your party's going to enjoy it. And, you know, always, you know, support Planet X Games. They're it's a fantastic company. Levi's a great dude. Uh, you know, got to meet him, got to got to meet Ed, uh, met Keelan, and met Jay Shields at North Texas RPG Con. So, guys, 2022, uh, be there. Great show. I'm pretty sure Seth Skorkowski is going to be there next year, too. So, uh, yeah, be there. Pretty please. Anyway. 
that's really what we've got for today. So I'm going to head back to the uh, the solo screen to tell you guys a little bit about, you know, what we've got coming up here in the next couple weeks. Awesome. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I always enjoy talking about it. Uh, I might actually go back to the screen share here in just a little bit to show you guys uh, some of what's coming up here in the next couple weeks. Uh, but just to let you guys know, next week, uh, we're not going to be looking at DCC. Uh, instead, I'm going to do a video uh, that I've been... I've had percolating for a little bit. Um, I, I've wanted to talk about this for a little while. So I'm finally going to actually talk about it. Um, and that is Social Encounters, specifically Charisma. It's probably going to end up with some kind of provocative title like... Uh, why charisma is overrated or something like that. But, you know, we're... We're, we're going to be talking about how I handle social encounters, how those work, all that stuff. Hopefully you guys will find, you know, some, some wisdom in my insights. Hopefully you guys will, will take something new away from it. I'll tell you that I've, you know, pulled from various sources who have talked about this before, who are much more intelligent than I am. Uh, so some of it'll be old, some of it'll be new, some of it'll be stories from my game. Uh, you know, we'll be talking a lot about how to handle social encounters, um, and how to make it so that the, the charismatic man is not always the, the winner of the social encounter. because uh, other stats need to play into social encounters and, and you know, how to engage like a barbarian or a fighter, you know, someone who's not a skill monkey, someone who doesn't have good charisma or good uh, social stats or something like that in a social encounter, because they tend to drag, they tend to be long, and the players who like to roll dice and kill shit, they, uh, they get bored. They get really bored, in fact. So hopefully, we'll have some good advice there. Um, not next week, because next week my grandparents will be in town for Independence Day. But the weekend after that, we're going to get back to a painting stream. I've got this miniature here. I'm hoping that it will line up with, uh, you know, some, some releases as far as my collaboration with the Spoken Token podcast uh, and the Starfinder campaign that we've been running, uh, DM'd by my good friend Michael Dement, Shag fantastic dude love him we'll have him on someday uh but this is my character vance v4 nc3 he's an android operative we'll be painting him uh i'm excited this is a great uh eldritch foundry miniature so you know we'll be painting something from one of the former guests that i had on the show uh so i'm excited it'll be great i have another one of their minis that i haven't painted and i've got one that i have painted uh, let me see if I can find... Yeah, right here. This is one uh, that I painted from Eldritch Foundry of uh, the character that I played last time Shag uh, ran a game. And I have a second version of him that's a little bit better that I like a little more uh, that I'll be painting sometime soon. I'll probably stream that one too. But yeah, uh, that's that's coming up soon. We'll be we'll be painting this guy live on stream. I do have a mini that I recently painted that'll be on Instagram tomorrow. Uh, I'm looking forward to putting something out. It's been a while since I've painted. Um, I, I kind of let it go by the wayside. I'm I'm a little sad that I did. And so I had a, a good miniature that helped me kind of get back on the horse. And I'm hoping to be consistent with painting moving forward. Because uh, like all people who paint miniatures, I've got a you know pile of shame built up that I need to paint. Or rather, uh, two drawers of shame. They're not full, full, but there's, there's a significant number of minis in there. So we'll be working through that. Stay tuned at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg on Instagram to see some of the stuff that I'm painting. And of course, you know, in early July, uh, Jeff Telanian's going to be on to talk about Hyperborea third edition the kickstarter is going to be launching soon uh and of course coming up in in mid to late july uh i'm going to be doing a collaboration with john and joe page from project full blade 
and Prax and Rez from Gamertarians. We're going to be doing a little bit of a look at Nighthaven, the world that I am creating for the adventure that I keep referencing. So we're going to have uh, a little look-see at the adventure that I uh, am putting together uh, to go along with the setting book that I'm hoping to put out at some point. Uh, we'll be doing videos about you know settings and stuff like that as, as the summer goes on, uh, looking at some of my progress in Nighthaven, and of course, uh, artists out there who are listening, uh, who I've talked to, uh, artists who know me, uh, feel free to drop me a line, let me know, you know, rates and stuff like that, uh, moving forward as I'm trying to, you know, put together what this, you know, what putting out a book is going to cost, uh, you know, moving towards what I'm hoping is going to be a Kickstarter campaign to, to fund it all. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see where that ends up. Um, I'm excited to move forward with that though, because I've been kind of holding on to, you know, all these ideas Thinking, you know, is this going to be a fantasy novel? What's this going to be? It's going to be, it's going to be an RPG adventure, or RPG setting book that will turn into adventures. So stay tuned. Stay tuned for some exciting stuff on that front, uh, some, some inside looks, and, uh, you know, just as the channel's growing here, uh, more cool stuff to, you know, get people excited about RPGs now. So until then, guys, uh, you know, I'll, I'll see you guys next week uh, talking about social encounters. But until then, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time.